Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, would you grab it, please, and turn to the book of Jonah? We'll be in chapter 2 today, in part 3 of our series. Uh, let me catch you up really quick as you're turning. Uh, no shame if you go to the table of contents. It's all good. Jonah chapter 2, uh, we have the last couple of weeks looked at this book, um, and we've seen uh, the narrator of this story talk about Jonah, Jonah, this faithful prophet who was called to go to Nineveh. Uh, and Jonah did not want to go. Nineveh was this capital of Assyria, was a very dark place, did inexplicable things, things I've said last couple weeks we can't talk about in here because there's children present. Um, but he said no. He said he, he not only fleed in disobedience, the scriptures tell us he fleed from the presence of the Lord. His goal was not just to get out of Nineveh, his goal was to get away from God. He was in such a dark place because of these people that he did not want to go and preach. And the reason was not because he just didn't like them, he didn't do it because he knew that if he went, God would forgive him. I think we'd all agree that's a pretty dark place. One writer put it like this and said that you could compare it to this way. It's almost like asking a, a, a Jew in 1942 to go preach love and forgiveness to Berlin. It's pretty tough. So it's not a casual disliking, but we see this story continue. They're in this, God sends the storm. These pagan sailors call out to their gods. They're throwing cargo over. They're doing everything. Jonah tells them, I'm the problem. Throw me over. Kill me. I went out. He's still not going to preach forgiveness to these guys. And they do everything. And then finally they relent, and they throw him overboard. The sea calms. And we saw in verse 17 last week, the fish comes and swallows him up. This, this story, as we're going to stand to read our text in just a minute, um, this belly of the fish, if you Google it and you do Jonah, it, you're going to see all kinds of things that are going to come up. And it's, it's this fairy tale story where Jonah's got plenty of room in the belly. Like there, I saw one picture, he's like by a fire in the belly. I'm like, what's going on here? Uh, I mean, so it's not like that. So we're going to talk about this. I, I, I confess there's, there's, a, there's a lot today. Uh, I feel like the Spirit's going to do something great today, but there's a, there's a heavy tone to it. But we see uh, this sermon title is called Prayers from the Pit because Jonah's going to reference it and call this like being in a pit. But before we read our text, I want to I tell you two things. Uh, briefly, two weeks ago, I said, you know, we talked about, is this really something that could happen? Is this true? Is this even physically possible? And I said, this isn't even the top 10 of things that God has accomplished scripturally that we think, whoa, that's amazing. How about the resurrection? We'll talk about it in about a month or so. Uh, first of all, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says clearly that he refers to his resurrection and talks about Jonah. Pharisees are saying, we want a sign of something. We're going to actually talk about this uh, um, Actually, on Palm Sunday, we're going to finish this up and look at Matthew 12 as well, when Jesus likens his resurrection to Jonah. So Jesus said it was true, so that's enough for me. But just in case you need more, I'm not saying you need more than that, let me give you a name of a guy named Ma Ma Michael Packard, okay? You know my story, I, 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 I don't like the ocean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I have a, my chest tightens even thinking about this, but there's a guy named Michael Packard, licensed commercial fisherman, age 56, in 2021, if you get bored, Google this. This is what happened. He was at the bottom fit, doing his stuff for lobster, and he was swallowed by a humpback whale. This was his exact quote. It says this, all of a sudden I felt a huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely blank. I get a little anxious right now. <sighs> okay. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles in his mouth. I was completely inside. It was completely black. I thought to myself, there's no way that I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. Michael Packer. 
He was in despair, if only for a few minutes. And then as the story goes, you can Google it and read it later this afternoon. It's a true story. It was only momentary, but he was in there. And he said he felt like the muscles constricting. And then all of a sudden, he started moving. And he said, it was like I was annoying the whale. It's like I was making him uncomfortable. So he started thrashing around in the well to try to make him uncomfortable. Then all of a sudden, he saw a glimmer of light. And the next thing he knew, whoosh, he was out into the water. So if you need an example that it can happen, if Jesus' words aren't enough for you, sinner. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Just lighten it up, just lighten it up. It can happen. So let's stand together. We're going to read and see what happened, not for Michael Packer. We're going to see what happened for Jonah in the belly of this fish. It's an amazing story. We're going to give seven blessings or things from the pit that we can learn from. We're going to start in verse 17, if you have your Bible from last week. Chapter 1, verse 17, and they're going to read all of chapter 12. Cat is going to read our scripture for the day. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray together. If you would take just a second. In your own heart, in your own way, would you ask God to, to do something great? Uh, we're going to talk about being in this desperation, this pit, this, this circumstance of life that we may find ourselves in. Maybe you're there right now. But in your own heart, in your own way, would you just ask God to do something great today, that your heart be receptive if you don't mind, pray for me that I would preach according to the scriptures and that every one of us, those who choose and are willing to receive from him today, that we might be changed. You pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this privilege to come into this place. God, I thank you for the privilege to stand on the stage and get to preach the Bible, and I pray that I do so diligently. Lord, I thank you for the hearts in this room that have just called out to you. Maybe there's hearts that are distracted. Maybe there's hearts that are just tired from busyness. Maybe there's some in the room that, that already feel right now there's weight and heaviness in their life and, and maybe bad decisions, maybe just life just kind of crashing in, um, and they just are struggling. Wherever we are, Lord, would you just meet us as you promised to do? Do something great today. You get all the, all the glory and all the honor, and we ask it in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week as I closed in prayer, I, I, this, the Holy Spirit has kind of put this girl on my heart that I just mentioned it quickly about a girl that was in my youth group and that she was struggling, um, and she basically came into my office and was struggling, uh, and, and she was a leader. She came to church. She did all these things, and I've shared this story quickly, um, but all of a sudden she came up to me, and she just kind of was like, I, I don't can't come anymore. Her parents were jaded by church. 
very wealthy, prominent in, in the community I grew up in. Um, they had a bad experience in church growing up, and they were the ones that were basically mocking their daughter. She would go home, and she didn't get peer pressure from friends. She got peer pressure from parents that kind of made her feel like garbage for going. And I know you're thinking, how would you do that? But it just happens. So bit by bit, she got to the point where she kind of started, I can't come anymore. I'm done. I'm not coming. I'm not going to do this anymore. She was a leader. She came to Sunday school. She would sit with us in our family sometimes because she was by herself. She would cry sometimes on a Sunday morning because she was like, why do I just get, keep getting dropped off? To which I was like, praise God that you're here. Then she'd go home and mom and dad, because of their own guilt and shame, and they would project it on their daughter. They kind of pushed that on her. And finally, she said, it gets enough. And she said, at least I can go home. And I don't get made fun of for going to church. And she sat in my office after time after time, and she said, I'm not going to be coming anymore. I'm not going to come on Wednesdays. I'm not going to come on Sundays. And I said, I hate that. And she's crying, and she told me this, and I alluded to it last week when she said, I know it's going to take me hitting rock bottom to kind of figure this thing out, but I'm just going to have to wait till that happens. Now, I don't know her story. I follow her online a little bit. I don't know. I'm praying that God maybe showed up someday, and maybe that happened. She's got a family, and she's got a husband, and they're married, and I don't know if that ever happened. I don't know. But we find ourselves in these places where we hit rock bottom, where we can't get ourselves out of situations. And sometimes it's like Jonah, like our own decisions, and sometimes it feels like life is crashing in. But I want us to see today that Jonah is in the belly of this fish, and he is in a pit, as he's going to call it, in a situation that he can't get out of. Everybody in this room, if you have not been there or aren't there right now, there will come a time in life where we might feel that. So I just ask you to lock in this morning and hear this. There's some blessings that could come because... God can use anything, but these pits, if you will, they can be anything. I've, I've seen this over the course of life and friends and relationships and pastoral ministry, marriages that are in, in, in a pit because of unfaithfulness, parents at the end of themselves because of disobedient children, maybe financial pits. You're just like, I can't figure this stuff out. Relationship pits because of gossip and slander, unmet desires, those kind of pits where you're just waiting for something to happen. It just never happens. I've seen substance abuse, functional alcoholics, and drug users that find themselves in a pit. They're not homeless. They're not on the street. They're just coping. Disobedience in general, where, where God says to do something and we rebel and say no. Loneliness, rebellion, apathy, all of these things, we can find ourselves to be in these pits. And we see this where Jonah is in this belly of a fish because God brought the storm, make it very clear, God brought the storm because he loves him. And mercy, hear this, mercy is the thing. I'm going to give you seven things quickly. Uh, you can take a picture of it if you want to, but we're going to go through these pretty quickly. But I'm going to show you, I started about three or four, but God kept kind of giving me some specifics for this week. Uh, they'll each come up individually, but here are seven blessings or seven benefits or seven things we can learn in the pit. We can learn from John. We can reconnect with God. We can see his discipline. We can see our sin, which we'll love that. We can remember him. We can cherish the gospel. We can recommit our lives. And we can get a fresh start. We're going to go through these quickly. Uh, the last ones will go pretty, pretty, pretty quick, but the first couple are going to be kind of, kind of uh, detailed. But I want to jump right into verses 1 through 2. Seven blessings when we find ourselves in the pit. The number one thing, first off, is that we can reconnect with God. This is going to get pretty heavy pretty quick, but look at this. Verses 1 through 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me, from the deep in the realm of the dead, or the belly of Sheol, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, hear this. That's the point number one. The, what are the blessings that can happen when we find ourselves in a pit? We'll talk more about the pit in this minute. 
that we can have an opportunity, if we see it, to reconnect. Did you see it? Three times, Jonah prayed. Jonah called for help. Jonah reached out. Now, this is at the end. He's about to get puked up onto the shore. Well, vomited. Is that more, is that more pleasant? Okay. Spewed onto the shore. There you go. I've enlightened it a little bit. That wasn't very pastoral. There you, I'm just kidding. I reminded you back in verse 17, all this going. So scholars believe this, that in the belly of three days, Jonah is in the process of being digested. How long do you think he sat there before he finally relented and repented? Did he squirm like Matthew Packer? Did he sit there and think, I'm not going to make it. I am dead. I'm done. But he waited. And most believe it's not until the third day that he finally does this. It says, okay. But at the most basic level, hear this. What does he do? He calls. He reconnects. He prays. Now, can I tell you this? And, and I, when I've had moments of call it a pit or frustration, anxiety, despair, you know what struggles? My prayer life. Anybody in this room, you feel like your life's in a pit and your prayer life's just amazing? No. My prayers feel like they don't, hit, they don't get past the ceiling. Are you ready for this? Even worse. Now hear this. I don't want to pray. I bet if you're honest, if you find yourself in a pit, that you're like Jonah thinking, no, I don't want to pray. I'm mad. I'm mad at them. I'm mad at you. Life is brutal. I hate all of it. I just wish I could die. And it's all whatever. How's your prayer life? We see a a blessing that we can learn from Jonah in this moment after the storm comes, after he's being swallowed by a fish, after he's being partially digested, he calls for help. He calls it from the place of Sheol, the realm of the dead. Some people think, did Jonah die? No, he, they talk about this the Old Testament word of connecting with darkness, utter darkness. He describes this near-death experience, and Jonah is likening it to death. I think of Psalm 28 when David, two psalms for when, when David, who had his own issues, he found himself in several pits, if you will. He says, to you, Lord, I call you my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down into the what? Pit. Hear my cry for mercy. The theme of this whole book is mercy. Look at David. He's saying, hear my cry for mercy. I call to you for help, and I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Psalm 116, David says again, I love you, Lord. You heard my voice. Hear my cry for mercy. And because you turned your ear to me, I'm going to call on you as long as I live. Is your life in a pit? Somebody you love in a pit? By God's grace, we can learn from Jonah, this disobedient rebel prophet that said no to God, living in disobedience. And ours might be different than Jonah's. He cries out. See, a blessing from the pit is that we can reconnect with him. But also, number two, is that we can see his discipline. Look at verse 3. He says, you hurled me into the depths and into the heart of the seas and into the current, the, excuse me, the current swirled around me. All of your waves and breakers or billows, they swept over me. Did you see the possession here? First of all, in verse 3, who did the hurling? <laughs> God brought the storm. Who brought the hurling? Is that, is that very pastoral language, hurling? I said puke and I said hurl twice. Come on, guys, wake up this morning. You hurled me into the depths. Check this out. All of your ways. 
Remember earlier he said, I worship Yahweh, the God who made the heavens and the earth and everything. Now he's saying, he's making it very clear as he's praying, he says, you did this. You hurled me into the depths. It wasn't those pagan sailors. This was your hand. You did this. You're, you're over all of this. It was my disobedience. I'm in this pit, but you did this. And we're going to see it. It's mercy because we're going to see his discipline. Your waves, your breakers, they swept over me. Jonah understood that this is not a situation that these men just did. This is not a situation that's just happenstance, a circumstance. Remember, this storm, this pit is because of his disobedience. And when Satan tries to distance us from God, you see, God must not have cared for you. He must have forgotten about you. Man, I love this because at the most basic level, Jonah and we can say, no, he hasn't. He's actually doing this. God is doing this to show mercy and grace to me. He's doing it to teach me and show me. So this pit, he feels like, we'll talk about that more in a minute, it's by his design. Now watch this. We're going to see something amazing happen here. We're going to see Jonah sees God's hand is in this. He's able to get past himself, quit being a victim, and seeing that God did this. Can't blame anybody else. And he cries out for help. So look at number three. We see that he reconnects with God. We see that he sees God's discipline. But look at number three. He's going to see our sin. Look at four through six. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards the holy temple. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed and all this is around my head. I'm getting anxiety just thinking about it. Verse six, to, to the roots of the mountain, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever, but you, Lord my God, you brought my life from the what? Pit. Just in case you thought I was taking a little liberty. Jonah feels banished. He feels exiled. He feels like he has no hope. And it says that he is looking at the end of verse 4 to the holy temple. Now this is important because in the Old Testament, the temple was where God dwelt. And you can see it because what he's doing here is he's speaking this language of talking about distance from God. And he's saying that, hey, I will look again. I will come back to the presence. I will see my sin. I will see where I fall short. And I'm going to come back to the presence of God. You know what happens in pits, in sin, in disobedience? You distance yourself from God. You know it. It's easy. I don't, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around people. And it's not because they're all wrong. It's because you're living in disobedience. And you don't want anybody to be around you. Go listen to the sermon two weeks ago. But I want to look at verse 6. Jonah talks about this pit. And in the Old Testament, there was another word they used for that. It was called cisterns. And cisterns were deep holes that dug in the ground. It would collect rainwater. It would collect things and animals. And people sometimes would fall in there and they literally could not get out. You may recall the famous story of Joseph before he was sold into slavery in Genesis. Remember what happened? What, did, what, did he get, what happened to him? He got thrown into the pit, right? Now, here's what a pit is. I don't, this is just a working definition. A pit is any situation, think of death story, any situation where you find yourself in that you can't get out on your own, and it'll lead you to despair. But pits are different. Now, this is important. Please, theologically, stay with me on this. I don't want you thinking every pit that you find yourself in was, well, it's my fault. I must have done something wrong. Maybe. But pits also happen because we live in a follow, fallen world where there's brokenness and sin. Another reason that we can find ourselves in pits of despair and things is because of spiritual warfare and battles and things that happen that it may not be because of disobedience. It may be because that God is allowing something to happen. I'll cite Job for that. Job let it, God let it happen to Job because he was faithful. 
But there are times when we have indecision, excuse me, lack of decision of following Christ, and we push Him away, and we rebel. And just like a parent, hear this, just like a parent in this room, that we will gladly disrupt our kids' temporary comfort for long-term health, God will do exactly the same thing. Tim Keller says this, when we talk about seeing our sin, look what he says, this is so good. He says, no human heart will learn its sinfulness and impotence by being told it is sinful. It will have to be shown, often in brutal experience. You see, the blessing, whether you like it or not, I need you to hear this, please hear my voice this morning, is that the blessing from the pit is that can be a mirror that can show us our sin. And we can look at it and think, God's revealing to us and showing us our sin so that we can repent, we can turn. Because if it, sometimes we don't want to be told what to do, but he shows it to us and reveals that to us, just like a parent. That's what's happening with Jonah. And if you find yourself, maybe you're there right now in a pit of despair and you think like the world is crashing in on you, maybe God is trying to show you. David, look at the mirror. Look what I'm trying to show you. Stop rebelling. Stop pushing. Stop blaming everybody and everyone. And look into the mirror and see your sin. When I see it, we get to the fourth one. We can remember our God. Verse 7, he says, when my life was fainting or ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, Yahweh. And my prayer rose to you, here's the temple language again, about intimacy, finding the presence of God to your holy temple. Jonah literally says, I'm dying, but while I'm dying, in that angst, in that pit of despair, I remember. You ever been in a situation where all of a sudden you have clarity? The things you despise, you push God away, you get just desperate enough? And we remember You see, God's mercy will go to the depths of the ocean in the belly of a fish for a rebellious prophet, and he will do the same for you. You may not like to hear this, but I hope that you'll hear that the heart of our Savior, the heart of our God, he will do whatever it takes to come after you. Anything. By your spirit, we'll see this, that we're never too far gone. We can remember. And some of you might be thinking, Pastor, you don't know where I'm, where I'm at. I'm in a dark place. It's all clean on the surface. I don't like Jesus. I don't like the Bible. I really don't like church. I'm not really sure about what's going on in my life. I'm just kind of frustrated. Everything I'm pushing away, I get it. But I'm praying that the, we would remember the grace and the mercy, that the parallel is very clear for the gospel. That's what's coming up next. We all deserve death for our sins for our transgressions, but this gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We're never too far gone. So by his spirit in this pit, just like Jonah, we can remember him and turn to him. And point number five is we can cherish the gospel. Look at verse eight. You're thinking gospel, that's in the, Old, the New Testament. Hold on. Look at verse eight. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love or steadfast love for them. This is amazing here because that word love or steadfast love at the end, we see this idol worship of pushing God away. But that word love or steadfast love, it's said in the Hebrew word, which means God's covenant love and faithfulness 
and mercy by which he will rec- excuse me, rescue his people, used over 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's also translated into the agape love in the New Testament where God's agape, relentless love for you and I in Christ Jesus. Now, I might geek out on this, but I hope you feel the weight on this, that, that we can see the goodness of our Savior. We can see the goodness of our God who plunged to the depths, who came from heaven and came to earth. But the problem is, is that sometimes we've got to figure out and realize, are we hitting rock bottom enough? I'm going to sound like a failure of a youth pastor when I keep referring to former students of mine and people in my youth finish, but I had another one that I was working with that was from, this, from town, okay? There's some good stories, too. Um, I don't know if you've ever visited somebody in jail before. It's pretty tough. When you get a call and you go to the Yoakum County Jail because you have a, well, and it, calls from jail are expensive, by the way, too. Uh, I had to do some explaining at the church. Hey, we got like $50 worth of calls from the jail cell because it's like $3 a minute on landlines. There you go. Um, this young man calls me crying and sobbing and weeping, and he got himself in some trouble. Was stealing things from people's houses to pay off some drug habits he had, alcohol addiction, drugs, and things like that. And if you've ever sat in a room with a man, he was bigger than me, doesn't take much, but he was stronger than me. He was a pretty well-built young man that was just a great athlete. I've never seen a boy crumble so far in my life. Looking at him on a phone, through glass, his hand on there, snot and sobbing and whatever. That young man has hit the bottom. And he didn't blame anybody. He didn't say, these cops, my pa-. He said, David, I messed up. I need help. That young man got desperate enough because he's in a pit, in a literal jail cell, and the walls are closing in on him, and everything of his life has been stripped away. And so that question comes to mind sometimes. I just want to press my own heart here to, if I keep blaming people, if I keep pushing things away, if I keep blaming God, if I keep justifying, I haven't gotten desperate enough. I had not gotten low enough. And I think of that young man. Where he hit bottom. He was in a spot where he couldn't get out of. We talk about cherishing the gospel in verse 8. The steadfast love. It's beautiful because he keeps clinging to and going back to the temple. He keeps referring to these. And a lot of scholars believe this. It's amazing. It's kind of a geek out thing. But he keeps referring to this. A lot of scholars believe because Jonah would know about this. He was a prophet of God. And he would understand the temple. Yes, that was where God's presence was. But that was also where they would sacrifice the animals. Place the sin of humans into the animal. And then the priest would kill it. And you know what they would kill it on? The mercy seat. And the blood was spilled. Mercy is the thing. Just like the God of the universe would send the final lamb through the gospel, he would come and he would plunge to the bottom. He would plunge to the depths. He would take on your sin and mine for those who would place their faith and trust in him. And he, in his mercy, in his hesed love, would pay the penalty for us. He forgives us. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. That's why John 3, 16, you know that. He loves us so much he gave us one only son. Ephesians 2 said God's rich in mercy. He makes us alive. He brings us from death to life. It's foreshadowing. He forgives. He cleanses by his steadfast love. 
Oh, may we cherish the gospel. The last two are relatively quick. Number six, after we cherish the gospel, in verse nine, we see a chance for us to make a recommitment to him. Look at what he says. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. You're going to th- see the word, excuse me, will in there three times. I will sacrifice to you. I will make good. And I will say that salvation comes from the Lord. Ironically, that's what he was called to do in the first place. Remember that? Go preach forgiveness, repentance. And he says no. And what he is doing after this, if we see this flow, it's not just magic. It doesn't just happen. He's cherishing. He sees the the love of God for him. And because of that, with grateful praise, he will indeed worship. But he says, I will sacrifice. I will fulfill my vow. And I will say salvation comes from Yahweh. And last but definitely not least, number seven. Almost just get past it, but we see the story about Jonah. He gets a fresh start, verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's like I think back in verse 9 where Jonah's recommitting and he's saying, I will do this. It's almost like earlier when they're about to throw him over and God does like a little nudge and says like the fish in the water is like, it's go time, let's go get him. That kind of creeps me out a little bit, I'm just saying. But then all of a sudden now, it's like he's in the belly of the well three days. He's finally doing this. He's learning all of these lessons. We see this progressively take place. He recommits his life. And then now God says, go. And he's already there, and he pushes him back or spews him up on dry land. A fresh start to do what he was called to do in the first place. Anybody in here? Can I look at you real quick? Maybe not right now. Maybe it's not for you. Does anybody need a fresh start? Man, I need one for my week. Anybody in a pit this morning because you know your disobedience had led to you being in a pit and you know it? You find yourself indifferent to the things of God and you wonder why things, and you're just pushing away and maybe you blamed everybody else? Oh, maybe we learn from Jonah. It's bigger than just a fish story. It's bigger than that. God will give a fresh start. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe some of you are in the pit and you don't know Christ and maybe you've been trying to do all this stuff right and you don't know him. Oh, may today be the day of salvation. I love this story. And I've enjoyed looking at it over the week and I look at it and I'm looking at all these things and I think, man, what a blessing, church, if we can just hear this. Please hear, I'm almost done. But if we can, in the pit of despair, whatever we're going through, we're in situations in life and circumstances that we cannot get ourselves out of. What an opportunity, according to the scriptures, not David, but according to the scriptures, to reconnect with him if we'll choose to. To see his discipline, to see that this is God doing it. I'm not a victim here. That we can see our sin like a mirror, like Tim Keller said, it's a mirror that will show us our sin so that we can respond rightly and that we can remember him and that we will cherish his love for us and that we can too recommit and get a fresh start. But the question of the day is, do we get desperate enough? Death story. At what point do you get desperate enough to call out for help? At what point do you get low enough to think, I can't fix this by myself? I'll close with this story. And I'm going to give you a chance to do just that. 
There's a story of two brothers. I'm, I'm one of two brothers, so I kind of get this story. story of two brothers. They live in Florida. They were playing outside. Dad was working inside the office, and they were going to go play tag. The timeless game of tag, right? I mean, it's generational. This game was going to go outside, and Dad said, that's great. Have fun. Get out. Just go. I have one rule. He said, do not play on the dock. And the young boys just said, like most kids, all right, sure, yeah, gotcha, as they're running out. So they go, they play, dock, uh, play tag, and they're out there, and they're going. And this game of tag got pretty intense, and on the dock, where they weren't supposed to be, they kind of found themselves. And as one of the brothers leaped, the other one dodged to move, and guess what happened? He slipped and fell. Now, if you're familiar with docks, there's these pilings, the big, the big uh, excuse me, I almost said metal, but they could be metal, but the big wooden uh, pilings that go into the ground that hold the dock up out of the water. The boy fell off and went under. The young other brother that was up top panicked and went and ran inside and told his dad. And the dad comes running. And as the story goes, the dad jumped in, water was waving up against it, and he was scrambling around and he could not find him. Father's in the room, mother's in the room. Imagine the panic. You can't find your child. You cannot find your kid and you're looking for this situation. Is he gone? What's going on? Feeling around, all this stuff. And then bit by bit, looked back and finally got to one of the back pilings closer to the edge and felt him. And he was clinging, picture a bear claw, if you, or bear, like a bear hug, excuse me, holding onto the piling, just waiting there. The dad grabs him, takes him to shore, and they talked to him. He was coughing up water, and once he was okay, the dad said, why did, why did you disobey me? I told you not to go on the dock. He said, I know, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. It's okay. So time goes on, and then later the dad thought about something. He said, it was kind of weird. So he's talking to his son, and he goes out there again. He said, I got a question. He said, when I found you, you weren't moving. You, just, you were just holding on for dear life. He goes, why didn't you, why didn't you try? Why, why didn't you try to get out? Why didn't you try to do something? And the, and the boy says, I was waiting on you, Dad. I knew you'd come. Isn't that Jonah's story? His disobedience got him in a situation he couldn't get, him out of, get out of, and God came. I say this not just to share a story with you, but I want you to hear this. Some of you might be in a pit right now. Are you desperate enough to get out of it? You can't, but he'll come. He will come. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm just going to give you a moment. With head bowed, closed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning. But here's the thing. I just want to offer this, this to you. I know where I'm at. I'm in Olton, Texas, small town America, that it is the, it, it's just the stigma. I grew up in a small town too. We don't show vulnerability. We don't show weakness. We dare not show anybody that we're not okay. For some today, if you're in a pit or whatever life is going, maybe the first step out of that pit is to step out and come down here and pray with me, Deb, or come on the altar or kneel where you're at. But I know what it's like. Well, what happens if people think I'm not okay? Friends, none of us are okay. Let's just ruin that facade. I'm just going to give you a moment because I pray that this is more than just a story. I pray 
And I picture lives of people in this church and people in this community that need to be reminded, just like that young boy that's sitting in a jail cell, that sometimes it takes everything getting stripped away from us before we realize. I pray that we can look to him and not have to get to that point. Some of you may feel that way right now. Some of you, your life is pictured like that boy hanging onto the pilings, waiting on him to show up. He will. Scripture tells us that in his timing, he will come. He is faithful and he is true. Would you call to him? You may find yourself in, in different stages of these seven things today. But would you turn to him? Would you call on him? And whatever he's asking of you, be it this morning or another time and place, please, let's learn from Jonah. Let's not disobey. Let's not push it away. This is your time. Every head bow, every eye closed. The praise team's going to sing a song that we chose on purpose. Come to the altar. Devin, I'll be here to pray with you. Please come down and kneel to pray. If you want to kneel where you're at, whatever you need to do, please do it. This is your time.